Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff here from warriorlife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 469. So I got something a little bit different for you this week. I recently was a guest on the Defenders Live show with Laura Thorson to talk about the importance of self-reliance and how to become less dependent on the systems that so many have become accustomed to taking for granted. Well, the conversation took a, a few turns along the way, as I'm sure you've come to know that I'm prone to do from time to time. I really enjoyed the show, and this week I would love to share this interview with you and hear from you on the topic of building self-reliance in your life. Now, you can do that over on our blog at warriorlife.com, and I'll also put the video of my chat with Laura in this week's podcast post so that you can leave a comment over on their YouTube channel as well. And I highly advise that you go there, subscribe to their show. Laura's got a great show over there, great guests, and a lot of great topics. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for you, and now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. So let's just start at the beginning here. Um, You started your company, Warrior Life, and... You say that Warrior Life focuses on using a structured framework to continuously improve self-development, to be self-made, self-reliant, and self-protected. So we'll get into a little bit of a timeline on that here in just a minute. But my first question to you, I know it's a simple question, and I want to hear from the audience on this too, but what to you is a warrior? And what does that lifestyle entail? I think it's important. It's pretty... It, it is. I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, gosh, how many different definitions of, you know, warrior are out there? Like we needed another one, right? Um, you know, it's, we always need it really one. had to, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, it's not like I have, I have the definition cornered on, on warrior, but it, you know, I had to go through an evolution of, of our current business. Cause we've gone through a different, we had a magazine for a while and we were modern combat and survival and, my interests started off in like just in in martial arts when I was younger, and then combatives, and and I was never really into firearms. And then got in the military, got more into firearms. And when we first started um, our business, it was really focused mostly on on martial arts, and then it was more into firearms. But then people, what people wanted was survival, and it's like I really wasn't. I was more into like wilderness survival when I was younger, but the more I started looking online to try and, and please our, like our followers, everything I was finding, like, but that doesn't even make any sense. Like, that's not how things really work. And so the more I, I looked into survival practices, it was really just based on theory. It, it didn't seem like a lot that I was finding out there was really based on what I had seen with my own eyes, both in, in natural disaster and, and dealing with natural disasters here domestically. But then also my combat experience was in, was in urban environments and it was basically a collapsed city. And the things that I saw there, I didn't realize the, the, the application it would have later on in my life. It, it was just, it was the experience I was mm-hmm. going through. But as I started mm-hmm. seeing all the different survival information out there, I'm like, that doesn't work and that's not going to work. And they're not even taking into account this over here. And so I just started putting out the information that I'd collected from my experiences and it made people think. So I've kind of made it a a point to really kind of challenge everything, but 
my, my point with how we got to like what what's a warrior is really more about business wise. This probably wasn't the best the best choice for me. Like we started off in in self defense, and then we did firearms, and then we had survival, and with those different members of our audience, like the the self defense people, a lot of them don't even really care about firearms, and like survival is like they they watch The Walking Dead, but that's it. The firearms <laughs> people are you know. Like some of them don't think that they need, they don't need self-defense at all. They don't need any, any hand, hand yeah. trans. I've got my gun, right? Yeah. They're a little bit more inclined toward survival practices because of a conservative minds, not mindset. And there's just, there's just a little bit more crossover there. Mm-hmm. The survivalists out there, the preppers that are out there. They're always into guns and they're typically into hand to hand combat also. And so, mm-hmm. but it was hard to really kind of like, please everybody all at the same time. And then I, we had to go through a rebranding uh, about two or three years ago for, for some off reasons. And when that happened, it was like, you know, business-wise, I should really just focus in with what I know where we stand out. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I started looking at that, it's like, but all of these things are important. And when I really started yeah. thinking about it and how I live my life and just how everything that we put out there, whether it was survival, whether it was firearms, whether it was combatives, everything we were putting out was, well, these are all the things that you kind of need to be able to do mm-hmm. in order to be like a warrior, right? Like, cause you're your family's warrior and everything that I saw about warrior online was all about, you know, you had to be a Navy SEAL with a bunker in the mountains of Montana and a four wheel drive monster truck to get you up there. And you it's had like, to say Montana, didn't you, Jeff? <laughs> you know, that's I where to, I yeah. am, right? <laughs> You're in a bunker right now. I know. I, I, I am in a bunker. Yeah. We can you know? see your monster truck right through mm-hmm. the window out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it was like, but then the other side of it though, was people that, you know, that love the, the concept of, of being a warrior that call themselves a warrior because they have the bumper sticker and they've got the t-shirt, but they're not paying attention to the things that um, like in the military as, you know, warriors, it was our daily existence, right? We were always doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, it's made it, it's really easy to just check the box, buy the t-shirt, slap the bumper sticker on the four wheel drive Mm -hmm. and say, I'm a warrior because you claim the title, but that's Mm -hmm. not going to do your family any good when, your health is bad or you're overweight or, and, and the house is burning and you're not even in good enough physical condition to be able to drag your spouse out of a, a burning bedroom. Right. So mm-hmm. I've seen all these experiences where people you're, you're, that's the moment. It's like, here's your calling, the threats right there mm-hmm. and not prepared for it. Yeah. And it ends up when people are tr- like, people want to be prepared for it. But it's really easy when, especially when you don't really, I, I guess, like deep down on a cellular level, believe that this stuff can ever happen to you. It's mm-hmm. really easy to just own the gun, go to the range, blast some stuff off. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. I'm a warrior. And yeah. then all of a sudden when something happens, you freeze because you mm-hmm. haven't experienced that before. You're not really prepared. Like that's your, that's your test. And what we tell mm-hmm. people is that you are like anybody can be a warrior. I don't care if it is an 80 year old grandmother at home, like you are where you are right now. But if you really want to call yourself a warrior and live that lifestyle, it's not as hard as you think, but it does require you to get off your ass, like do something. And so we have, you know, our system, uh, 
is really designed to take people from zero or wherever they're at now. Cause we're not saying mm-hmm. there's like, well, you have to reach this level and then mm-hmm. you can like, no, you can call yourself a warrior right now because here are the hallmarks of a warrior. You're self-made, self-reliant and self-protected. You have to realize first mindset wise, you're it. Like it's mm-hmm. your eyes. Your family is going to be looking into in the dark parking lot or stuck in the elevator or the building's burning or there's an active shooter. Like, it's your time. It's go time. And you're either warrior ready or you're not. And mm-hmm. to get there, it doesn't have to be you go away to some hoorah weekend, you know, fun, fun class and have fun and feel like you got a, a bunch out of it. In fact, we use advanced learning principles and brain based technology. And so we call it neurotactical programming. So it's how do you make how do how do you systematically become warrior ready for the moment where you're going to be called upon to be that protector or to be the person that is going to um, be self-reliant and your family is going to be able to live through a grid down blackout, whatever, whatever the situation is, right? Like you got to be ready for it in the military. We oftentimes we, we'd never know what the next, the next mission is going to be. It could be a defensive mission. Mm -hmm. It can be an offensive mission. You could be walking to your objective and you walk into an ambush. Like, we have to prepare for all of these different things. Basic trainings are, and and really what we, what I've found is that the military training that I went through had so much more application than I ever realized when we got into the survival space and how we trained in the military, how we, how, how training was structured in the military. Mm-hmm. And, and we use a lot of those same principles to be able to help people continuously level up. Right. And so I think the best analogy for how I just kind of framed the beginning of it and how we open up being a warrior to everybody that's willing to do the things that a warrior does is basic training. Because, I mean, in basic training, the drill sergeants get this this motley crew of knuckleheads that get off the bus (laughs) who have come from all walks of life. Right. We have some that are Mm -hmm. overweight, some that, you know, look like they're 20 pounds soaking wet. You've got guys are hoodlums. Basically when I went in, it was like, it wasn't for me, but I'm just saying like in court, it was like, you know, go to jail or join the army. Now you can't even get people in in the military anymore, but it's, you know, it's like you have all these people that come together and for the same reason, like the, your military property now, and we're going to, our goal is to make you warrior ready for when Mm -hmm. that call comes, we're sticking you on a C-130. We're getting you like you're in combat. Right off, mm-hmm. right out of out of the bat. So they have a very short window of time to turn you from mommy's little boy who is always getting in trouble, you know, and turn you into a, a warrior that's ready to go out there and and face the enemy. And well, let's, um and let's even dive then, into some of those examples. Sure. Could I ask you about what are some of some examples that you say run counter to your own personal experience about survival principles? I'm curious about that. That run counter to say that again. So you said there are some survival principles that run counter to your own personal experiences uh, that cause you to. Oh, you to mean like that I see life. out there? Yeah, that yeah. that aren't exactly accurate <laughs> or helpful. Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of it comes down to people don't understand how fragile our infrastructure really is. I think, you know, one of the things I get across to people is that 
you know, we go to the grocery store and there's groceries there. We go to the gas station, there's gas there. All of that is on a resupply line, right? Anybody that's in a business where you have goods, it's it's the same thing. There's supply and demand, right? And so when there, there can be supply there, but then all of a sudden something can happen, a triggering event of some kind can happen, which suddenly now the demand is spiked up, right? We saw it with toilet paper during like, mm-hmm. you know, COVID, right? So all of a sudden everybody flocks. Now there's no more resources. And in the same thing happened where I was in combat, like combat shut down an entire city. And so resupply wasn't happening. What we saw was that in, in just a matter of three days, because most cities operate on like a three, a three day resupply, resupply chain. So every three days, fuel's coming in every three days, groceries coming in. So it's, it's not, the same day for everybody, but it's about three days for, for goods that get turned over because, and they get turned over because there are basic resources for, for living, right? So mm-hmm. when infrastructure goes down, you might not have um, sanitation. That was a big thing that I saw in combat that um, I think people don't realize that when sanitation goes down, and, and I use that as an example because it's something that, you know, we use the bathroom every day. But nobody ever thinks about when it's like just no longer going to be available. And I know what people mm-hmm. do. They just continue to go. As disgusting as it is, they just yeah. they don't stop because people just don't. It's it's interesting. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think about that, but that's exactly what happens. And so I've seen I've been in toxic environments and it just um to see mostly what happens to people. I'm talking about like your friends, your family, your neighbors, people that you wouldn't expect to be a threat at all. People start getting very cranky when they're hungry and uh, and when their families are starving, you know, when there's no food and you're asking other people and they're like, no, sorry, like I've got to provide for my own family too. And that works for a little while. But then once you're desperate enough, people will do desperate things. And so... Mm-hmm. I think for people to really, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of directions that can, that can go in, but I was seeing a lot of things being put out there about, you know, most everybody will just put up the, the, uh, looters will be shot sign, things like that. Like they, they see what they see and then they think that that's, that's what you do. And so people put together, they're drinking beer. They've got all their guns out in front of their house. They got a looters will be shot sign. Um, all these things that even militarily, like I get here, I'm, I'm going to start off just getting myself in trouble right now. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> like the, the, the warrior class out there, right? The tactical warrior class out there love, and I'm going to piss off a bunch of people that are out listening right now, but like okay. they love camouflage. They love <laughs> camouflage. And so the, the camouflage bug out bags, the camouflage, this, the, the, I got my AR 15 and it's like the concept of camouflage is to blend in. And so enough people have seen enough episodes of doomsday preppers and walking dead, everything else to know that somebody that looks like one of those people from television, you pretty much can guarantee that they've, they've got extra food somewhere or they probably have ammunition. And so it's, you know, you're, if you've got a show of force, it's one thing. If you've got like a whole battalion of Navy SEALs that, I mean, it's not a battalion of Navy SEALs, but, but (laughs) already I'm going to catch hell for that one too. I'm going to get all the nasty mail for that one, but it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's, if you're, if you're truly that organized, which is an elite level of organization, trust me, mm-hmm. then fine. Like slap on all the cool gear, you know, break out the t-shirts, you know, put on your Punisher, uh, you know, helmet, whatever. But 
but that's not going to do you any good in when it's you and a small team, or even it, most people is just them. Like they know mm-hmm. they should have a, a team of people that, you know, mutual aid group or something or survival team, but well, and they're broadcasting most people too. aren't really doing it. Yeah. And that's it. So you're standing out as somebody who's prepared mm-hmm. and it, you know, it gives you, you know, you want to thump your chest out there, but, mm-hmm. but really what you're doing is you're making yourself a target. And right. so it's not really camouflage, you know? So right. we tell people, you know, you want to be tactical, but you don't want to look tactical and that's being tactical. So yeah. that's probably the biggest contrast that I see out there is that it's mm-hmm. everybody wants to be a doomsday prepper, you know, badass. Mm-hmm. And it's Ooh, like, I know, I know a good to. quote. It's like, uh, it's like we have this joke in the horse industry that everybody wants to be a cowboy until it's time to do cowboy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And right? for me, it's like just getting on a horse, I know I, I always want to do like a cattle drive. Yeah. But like 10 minutes on a horse, my ass is killing me so bad. Like, how does anybody <laughs> sit on this stupid thing for so long? And it's like, See? it starts trotting. And it's like, uh-huh. they're like, put your feet forward. I'm like, they're up near his ears. I'm getting <laughs> flopped up and down like a paddle ball here. Oh, you need some I don't lessons, get the horse Jeff. thing. You need some I lessons. do need lessons. But it's the Absolutely. same concept. It's the same concept yeah. about, uh, you know, doing the cool stuff, having all the gear, right? So let's get into that because we want to talk about some common sense baseline things that we can keep in mind um, for being prepared. And I want, I want you guys in the audience to participate too. What are some common sense preparedness things that you do or that you think people might consider? And let's talk about too, Jeff, what do you think is, what is the best, where is the best place to start? My opinion, the best place to start is between your ears. And we say that with self-defense as well. So um, I think that if you have not prepared your mind, um, your body cannot follow. So that's one thing that we talk about a lot. I Do you agree with that? Or is, I don't think the gear comes first. And a lot of people start with the stuff. They start with the gear. <laughs> I was on a show, um, actually, I think it's airing tonight. Uh, I was on a show on the Preparines channel, if you guys want to watch that. Um, where I had the analogy of um, people buying guns and thinking they're safe, right? They buy the gun, they think they're safe, even though they're not trained and prepared to to run the gun, okay? It's the same analogy, in my opinion, as if you knew, okay, here's the, here's the, the scenario. Let's say that you'd never driven a car in your life. Never. You, did, you might have intellectually kind of know how to do it, but you've never actually driven a car. And the scenario is that you bought the car and you parked it in your garage because you knew if stuff hit the fan, you'd have to drive that car a hundred miles north. Okay, let's say. But you've never been in a car. You've never actually been in a car and learned how to run it. You have no subconscious competence whatsoever of how to drive a car. And we all, many of us who drive cars, we have a level of subconscious competence where we don't have to think about when to slow down or when to push the gas pedal or wish to, when to push the brake. And that same concept, I think that analogy applies to preparedness and to gun training as well. Buying the gear and having the stuff is not enough and it, and it won't save you. Your, your training in it might. What are your thoughts? Yeah. All right. So there's a lot to unpack there. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, one on, on starting with the brain, like where to start. Right. So yeah, I am taking notes. 
Um, so where where to start? Um, so so two things. One, uh, I think will help help people have a will help people relax a little bit, which is you start with where you are. You start with where you are. And that's what I, I, I tell people is that, like, I get it. Like, I talk about how you've got to take care of your body, right? And if you're overweight, I, like, I, I, I and people, that's going to, you know, it's going to hurt a little bit. But I'm not saying you have to have a six-pack six pack abs or anything like that. But you are where you are right now, no matter where, where it is. So if you have diabetes right now, you have diabetes. Like, you have what you have. You can't wish for that you hadn't done something different or that you're, you're starting from a different spot. So, so one relax, um, you already have stuff like the basics of right now for survival, you have a shelter, you have food, you have water, you have those, you have enough right now to be able to start putting stuff together. So I just want people to understand that it's not a, it's, there is no bar to get over to get started. Our calling for people really is just, you've got to, just do things step by step. And so that gets into um, the next step you were talking about where starting was the brain. So with us, with our, we've got what we call the S3 warrior machine. So it's, um, it's strength, skills, and strategy. And that bottom layer of strength is where we, we start our machine. So it's like the path to becoming what we call warrior ready. So the very bottom rung is brain, body, and backbone. So we start with the brain. We start with um, being aware of the of the reality of different things. Like if you don't if you don't believe anything's ever going to happen, then you know you're never going to really do anything. Why would you? You don't really have to. So understanding where true threats are, um, where you know, taking an assessment of, of where you're at with different things. But um, but the brain is where we start. In fact, all of our so the, the next layer that we have is skills, and that's where we start getting into the the skills you need to be, it's like the 80, 20 rule, right? So it's not like these massive courses. We give people this like shortcut. It's a, it's less than 30 minutes. These classes all are on very specific topics relate. And they, again, start off from the very bottom, which is mindset. So even the process that they go through for skill development, which we break it down into, um, you know, firearms, self-defense and, and survival practices. And so most of those are a lot of re-education, it's a lot of mm. trying to empty the glass for people to understand the things that they've probably come to believe over a period of time that really aren't useful to them. And it's not just beginners. Like I've, I've talked with no, experts and look, our whole thing with we're like, Mike, my, my path is to continue to learn. Like there's people out listening right now. They're way, be way better shooters than I am way better that you know, like you've got something that, you're doing way better than I am. And so my goal, all I care about is just taking care of my family. So whoever I can learn from, I want to learn from them. And the same thing, you know, for, for me, it's like, I, I've, I've had some things that have gone out there. I've caught a lot of hell for, but nobody's been able to prove me wrong on, on some of these things, but they're a re-education process. And so that's where we felt like we really needed to get down to emptying the glass for people, building them back up. And that's where our following has really come from is people really rethinking what mm -hmm. they thought was a truism and then really thinking about it. And it's like, Oh, you know what? That makes total sense. That doesn't, that's, um, that's out the door. Mm -hmm. So, but brain, body and backbone is where, is where we start. Uh, I don't care if you're 400 pounds right now and you're overweight, whatever. 
it doesn't matter where you are when you're listening to this right now. It matters what you're going to do when you're done listening to this, what you're going to do tomorrow. And I don't care if it's walking around the living room and you get winded and you got to get back down on the couch. Do one lap around the living room today. Try and do a lap and a half tomorrow, two lap, whatever it is. It's just continuously make gradual progress and you'll get there. You know, it's mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be. And the, and the other thing is we make it fun. We, you know, if it's not fun, nobody's going to do it. And so we find ways we built what we call neural tactical programming is these advanced learning principles that we build into our training so that people will have it in long-term memory. It becomes a, it becomes a skill that you own rather than just something that you learned or a YouTube video you watched. And then right. the final thing to say about what you were talking about was the gear thing, because you're absolutely right. Everybody loves to just buy the gear. I've got the bug out bag. I've got the this, I've got the that. And so, but even that's where I tied in with like the military before we started any mission, it didn't matter what it was. We always started with an operations order. Now this has been developed over, you know, like eons in military time of just fine tuning. Like what are all of the different factors that you need to know about the mission going into it? And so that's planned at a very high level. Like this is, you know, on the, on the map, this is what we have to take this objective. How are we going to do it? We have Intel, we have recon, so we, we have a good idea what the, what the enemy's capabilities are, how many there are there, um, what's meeting us once, once we finally get to the objective. So everything is planned out all the way to exactly what everybody's role is in the team. And then what gear are you going to need? Like if we're taking off, if we're going to be on helicopters or if we're walking, whatever it's like, that's going to dictate what mm-hmm. we're going to need once we finally get to, you know, just to be able to get to the objective. And then once we're there, how are we going to get out of there? How are we going to, how are we going to take the objective? All of those different things are all spelled out extremely detailed in these operations orders. And then they're, mm-hmm. they're given to the leaders, the leaders go back, you give it to the team. So it trickles down. So before you go on that, that mission, everybody knows their role and everybody knows exactly what gear to think. But here's the thing is that gear, the gear that you're going to bring comes up in paragraph four of the operations order. And it does, it's not the first thing. It's like, hey, what's the coolest stuff we can bring with us to, to take this? Effect, <laughs> right? I don't know. I just saw this like free plus shipping gizmo I can get. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like so. It, but it's the whole point there is that your gear is based upon the mission. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to make sure that you're in alignment with whatever your mission is. And most people just haven't even thought about what their mission is. It, because your mission drives your plan, it drives your training, it drives your gear, it drives everything. But most people have not really thought out their, like their mission. And mm-hmm. probably one of the best examples, like the most common example I get from people, because, it, you know, the survival market, the conservative, you know, because that's really kind of where a lot of survival or self-reliant people are, are, are kind of housed, is they're, they're an older demographic. Um, and so, they're like, why would I ever bug out? Like, I would never leave my house. Like, I've got my house here. I've got all my stuff here. Like, why would I ever do that? Well, you most likely wouldn't unless you had to. Like, mm-hmm. if there's a wildfire coming toward you, it's not like, oh, I guess I, I guess we're, Ethel, we're, we're staying in the house. Like, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to have to. I mean, I've been through a natural disaster. My, my town, I went through a natural disaster and there's some horrific stories of some people that weren't prepared. Um, friends of mine that, weren't prepared and, and almost died in, in that. And so 
people, I, I don't think people ever really think about what their mission really is and look at all of the, you know, your, your backup plans and, and, and everything you would need if you're, if you're, I'm not going to leave the house doesn't work anymore because you have to mm-hmm. leave the house. Right. So, and, and, but that's going to drive a lot of things. Cause then if you decide, mm-hmm. oh, I guess I was wrong, I guess we do have to leave the house, mm-hmm. but you don't have the right gear. You don't have the gasoline, you know, now there's the highways, a parking lot, you know, for like 50 miles. And so you've got to, you have to take all of that stuff into account early on and rethink, I think your mission and mm-hmm. that's what drives everything. So if you were to look at preparedness, like in the beginning, I said that self-defense, firearms training, blah, 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 that's a small sliver of a big pie. If you were to have a big pie, what are all the pieces of that pie from a preparedness standpoint? I assume shelter, water, food. And in what order does that go in? Yeah, I, I, I again, it's starting where you're at. So, I mean, the basics of it, when we're talking about like survival, right? Like, well, we know what we need to survive. And and it's really not that it's it's not a vast thing. You need shelter from the elements. I mean, arguably you need shelter because you could be out in the mm-hmm. open. But if you're exposed to the elements, <laughs> trust me, being wet and cold, um, it's gonna it's, you're gonna make poor decisions. Um, you can die of hypothermia. There's lots of people that go hiking down a trail, get stuck there overnight and die overnight because they didn't realize that the temperature goes down. So you need, so shelter is one thing. And that could just mean a, an emergency bag that, that can act as shelter. We need shelter, food, water, security. Those to me are, I mean, and I add security in there because that's not, you know, we didn't learn that in school, but we learned about shelter, <laughs> food and water, but, mm-hmm. but security because of what I've, I've seen happens to everyday folks when there are no resources, when it's a battle for just literally for survival. And so I, I take security very, very, I mean, that that's woven into absolutely everything that, that we, um, that we do on top of that, you have to look at, well, what are you normally dependent upon right now? So if you're, if you have prescription medicines that you um, have to take for a chronic illness, and if an infrastructure goes down, no doctors, you know, hospitals might be overrun if they're even oper- operating. Um, we know things are going to get looted. I mean, we've se- we've seen all these things happen. This isn't like tinfoil hat stuff. And so you being able to get those medicines is potentially going to be impossible. So how do you plan for that? So medical stuff is, is a big part of it, um, especially doesn't matter what it is. If it's a natural disaster, um, there's going to be toxins in the environment. There's going to be metal shards. There's going to be like refuse around, right? So, so a a little cut can get infected. You might not be able to get first responders to come to you. You might not have a doctor available or hospitals and things like that. So medical is, is part of that as well. I would say more like, you know, true first aid, like trauma care Mm -hmm. is going to be the most critical part of that. And, you know, but, but you'll see people, like you said, like buy all the gear, they got the nasal pharyngeal, Stuff to shove <laughs> down everybody's nose. They don't know how to use it or anything, but you know, hey, I've got that stuff. They might run into somebody that knows how to use it. Yeah, yeah. or they watch a YouTube video, so yeah, they'll, they'll be yeah. able to get it. But it, yeah. you know, it's so it's you're right. It, it's it's a lot of stuff, but again, it's driven by what is it that you're like you deal with in your own area. Mm-hmm. Um, I just moved to Florida about three years ago. Where I was before that, 
I was in a very rural area, um, small town, well positioned, uh, uh, fortified. Like like my house was, I had everything all set up, and then. I moved to Florida, like the worst state I could possibly move to. If I ever needed to bug out, I got one way up. I can't even go in like all directions <laughs> here. Worst place. But I met my high school. I, I reconnected with my high school sweetheart. And um, all right, fine. I'll go to Florida. I so, love that story. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just um, you have to really take a look at what your th- your practical threats are, not tinfoil hat threats. What are the practical threats? And then what resources do you have? Well, that you already have, like start where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. What you know, taking, take stock of what food you have. Um, I had a friend that was in, he was in New York city when I, f- I forget, I forget the name of the hurricane that came through. This was about, I want to say eight years ago or so it was like Irma. Somebody out there will probably say something, but like Irma, something, something came through. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I screwed that up, but <laughs> he was, he was in New York. This is when New York city really got hit. Right. And then like it shut down infrastructure and then the trash was piling up out there. People were going through dumpsters trying to find food. Mm-hmm. He was just visiting New York city and couldn't get a, a flight out. And so he went to the grocery store and it was bare. And so he figured he, he found a great solution, which I learned from him. It's like he realized he found out that the ethnic stores, like he went to an Asian store packed with food, packed mm. with food. Nobody ever thought about that. They're all going to, you know, HEB, the Piggly Wiggly, the Publix, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're going where you go. Yeah. And so he got all this food, brought it back to his hotel room. His buddies all came over. They're like, oh, we're going to wait out the hurricane and everything. And they're all there. And then they start eating all of his, they're not eating like, the stuff that's going to spoil in the next couple of days. They're eating all the stuff that would last a few weeks. And so he's like, what are you guys doing? But people, people aren't thinking about those things. Right. So I think, um, so like I said, there's a lot of stuff to cover, but it really has to be personalized to you. It's not a one size fits all thing. Mm -hmm. And you really can take stock in, in what you have right now, just going through Mm -hmm. your pantry, your freezer, knowing if, all the electric went down because grid down blackout right now is I think the biggest thing that everybody's like super worried about rightfully mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. And it, that would be devastating. Like literally just change, change the life as we know it, like for, for who knows how long. So um, without electricity and you've got just the food that you have right now, which are you going to eat first? How are you going to, how are you going to manage what you have as resources? So you can start right there. You don't have to buy anything or, or anything like that. But that's a good, I mean, the best place to start is where you're at and just take an inventory and then start running through what if scenarios based upon yeah. threats that you know you might have in your area, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a good segue. We So I watched one of your videos, well, a few of them, but one of them struck me. And it was the video about developing a combat mindset for survival. And there were quite a few good good points on here, and I'm I'm definitely condensing this. the The video was long, not long, but it was detailed, and he went in depth in each point. But I'm just going to share a few of those highlights, and then my question to you after this is: Which of these that I'm going to talk about here do you think people commonly get wrong? So the highlights of this video, and I don't know if combat mindset, but it, it's speaking to mindset. The first thing is 
Understanding that good people can do bad things. Secondly, to understand you might have to do bad things to survive and you need to know where your line in the sand is. Third, walk softly and carry a very big stick. (laughs) I love that one. And the best weapon you can have is avoidance, which I love because we talk about that too. Your best weapon is avoidance. Um, The next one is be prepared to change course. Don't always follow authority. Follow your gut. That was a good one too. And he fleshed that one out really well. I encourage you to go watch that video on Warrior Life. Um, another one is to take a firearms course. There's no substitute of uh, no substitute for actual experience under stress, which we fully believe in. And he talks about competitive shooting and paintball and hunting and all those things. And then another one is um, that the rule of law is going to find some way to come back around. And I fully believe that. I think that if there is no, if there's lawlessness, whether it is order coming back and law coming back, you know, that will follow you where you go. But I also believe in accountability, (laughs) judgment, if you will, um, to a higher power. And so I think whatever choices you do make, you have to be prepared to live with. So I loved that video that you did. And which one of those do you think people commonly get wrong? Was it the, um, well, I'll just let you speak to it. Which one do you think people get wrong? Um, Which of those resonated with you that you think, yeah, people don't, people don't really. I think that the, the good people can do bad things. I think people don't understand that if it gets really bad, that uh, how bad it really could get. Um, And we don't want to think about that, right? I mean, that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't get into self-defense or get into training until something happens to them, right? Mm -hmm. I fall into that category. So I have a whole story about that. So I do think that that's that's true. We don't want to think bad things could happen or that people could be bad. We just, just, it's just easier not to think about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I had to take notes on that cause I totally forgot what, what the, the seven things were, but, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties and you're obviously 23, I'm going to oh, say, and, so, yeah. Well, yeah, my memory is going on me, but no, I would say of all, of all of those things. And there was a reason why it was combat mindset versus, um, like survival mindset and things like that. It was really more about things that I kind of from combat that I've, I've come to learn. And so I would say that, the thing I think that people get wrong, and, and I'll bring this out as the, I think most people get this wrong because it applies to, um, it applies to firearms as well. Um, and that's, people don't understand that rule of law will come back around. I, I think in general, people don't understand the law. I think even, I've seen even the most experienced shooters out there who don't understand their responsibility. I mean, they'll talk all, all the time about, um, about the second amendment, right? Like, you know, we got to protect the second amendment, but they don't realize that the, the easiest way for you to lose your second amendment rights is be a dumbass with your gun. And they don't, they really don't, most, a lot of people just don't even really understand the basic concepts of when they can even show their weapon mm-hmm. that they're not going to get in trouble. Cause if, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't even matter necessarily if you're innocent, like you can go to court and if it look, if you take a plea deal, it's still a felony conviction. It can still be a felony conviction. So it's, I think that most people don't understand that. Like we have a shoot, we have a, 
we have a video test that we that people can take and as they go through it it's draw don't draw shoot don't shoot and the situations aren't super tricky they're things that you could absolutely find yourself in and mm-hmm. i think that i forgot that we changed the numbers a little bit here and there but it stays pretty steady at about 70% of people can't can't pass that mm-hmm. and we have three you know you can either go home go to jail or go to um go to the morgue like decisions that you make can either get you killed or or not make can get you killed, but not understanding those concepts. And so a lot of people, we see freeze, like we see, we can Mm -hmm. see how long they're on the screen, everything, they'll freeze because they don't really know what to do. They got to think about it. Well, when somebody's coming at you in a parking lot, you don't have time to really like stop and think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Even um, I was watching Andrew Bronco. I don't know if you ever had him on the show, but uh, you know, Andrew is a, is a, is an attorney. He has a a whole, his whole um, thing is about like, how do you protect yourself as a, as a fire, uh, as a, as a gun owner and making the right choices legally. And the other day he, he jumped into an impromptu broadcast about, um, I guess somebody had forwarded him. I guess Trump said something about looters should be shot or something like that. Like if he's president, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up all the quote, but it had, it was something about like, um, looters. It was okay to shoot looters in some way. And mm-hmm. and so I was watching it, and and I and I knew he where he was going to go with it. It was like, no, if somebody's stealing something, you can't just shoot them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who said it. You can't you can't do that. You're going to be. But when I was looking at the comments in the live stream, everybody was like, yeah, you know, it's like, well, he just won my vote again. It's just a bunch of stuff in there about like what you're doing is you're putting your label on your beliefs on there, and so all the comments that you make online, those things are going to live on. And so if you ever do find yourself in a situation where you had to use your firearm, or even if it was unarmed and you had to do harm to another person and you're called into question for that, if you, if it's a survival scenario and you legitimately had like somebody was busting into your house and legitimately you thought you were, you were going to be, you were going to be attacked and you legitimately shoot them and you're 100% justified in doing it. But then you had this big giant piece of plywood out on your front lawn saying looters will be shot. Survivors, Mm -hmm. survivors will be shot again. And that was a, that was a sign that was out. I have some videos on, uh, on YouTube. I had a, a neighbor of mine that had that sign up on, up on his driveway. It was like, you know, uh, press trespassers will be shot. Survivors will be shot again. it's like, okay, so try and convince the jury. It was just a joke when, yeah, now, why did you have to put 17 rounds into this person? It, it, well, he he kept fighting back. It's like, well, are you sure? Because it same, seems like maybe he was just alive and he wasn't dead yet. So mm-hmm. you've got to be very cautious. Like I, I tell you, take down those signs. We don't dial dial 911. Like, mm-hmm. no, of course you dial 911. Get rid of all that crap. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not going to play right when if if a prosecutor decides that they're going to, they're going to take the case and they feel like they've got something on you and they want to make an example out of you. Like they're going to parade the stuff that you've put online signs that you had. Oh no, but I was just joking about that stuff. Oh no, my, my brother-in-law bought me that t-shirt or that bumper sticker. And so, um, I think it's the law part of it that whether it's survival, whether it's firearms, or even if it's unarmed self-defense, I think people don't really understand, uh, the implications of, of their actions. Totally agree. 
Totally agree with you. Such good information. So, hey, guys, we're almost at the end of the hour already. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you have questions for Jeff, please put those in the comments. He's not going to be here much longer. He is on, what, Eastern time? So... Yeah. You know, it's past his bedtime. Past my bedtime. Yeah. It, it is past my bedtime, Laura. Thanks. I know it was a joke, but it's past my bedtime. Yeah, it's almost past mine too, Jeff. It's okay. So <laughs> yeah. if you guys have questions for Jeff, please put those in the comments. We'll get to those here in just a second. So let's let's leave the audience, Jeff, with um, some more information about you. Um, I want you to talk about, and you have the shirt on, I see the nonprofit operation, save our soldiers. Could you speak to that for just a little bit and then also let people know where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I I've just been up when I was on a per- personal mission, just for helping my brothers. I'd had a bunch of, um, I was out, of, I was out of the military in, in 10 years, but I had a lot of my friends that. I'd gone into the military with like, we were in a cohort unit in 10th mountain division. So we went to basic together and we were together for like three years after that. And so, um, a lot of my friends stayed in, made it a career and we're having a lot, like we're losing soldiers to suicide. And finally there was, um, there was a, one of my buddies called me and he said, dude, we've, we found like, this is a freaking cure. And uh, got me onto the board for an organization where this woman was doing some amazing work with with veterans where it was just like that. It was just erasing the symptoms. And so um, I was part of that organization for a while, but there were some limitations to her organization and it really wasn't wasn't taking off. Um, It was really it really only came down to her skills. We couldn't we could only do like so many people. But then there was a a better version of what she was doing that I discovered when I separated from that organization. And it was really just getting off the ground when it came to veterans. It was really, it was trauma-based therapy for originally for sexually sexual assault victims, but they found it it worked just as well for, for veterans as well. And so I connected with another combat veteran. Um, She had, she was just bringing that, that protocol out into helping more veterans out there um, was building out retreats I was trying to build retreats to cover the same protocol that I had found helpful before. And, but I suck at organizing anything. She's great at organizing (laughs) everything. She couldn't raise money, but like, so we, so my nonprofit, we raise money and sponsor veterans to come to the retreat to get a brain-based, it's a brain-based healing protocol that we use. And we are literally taking veterans who have been in the VA system and curing, I'll say the word curing, we're curing the so symptoms of PTSD in as little as one hour done Whoa. permanently. We have brain scans to prove it now. Like we've been really getting the proof to show it. Now the, the military is finally like starting to take more notice of it. There's no drugs involved. There's no reliving the pain of past experiences. Um, and it's really just, I'll, I'll simplify it for people just because tr- PTSD and we, I put a D, I put a dash in between D because it's not a disorder. You don't have a disorder. It's not a disease. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it mechanically, if you look at the brain mechanically, it's in disorder. And so what I mean by that is our brains have a recycle bin and a trash bin. Trauma is stored in the recycle bin. Because it's meant to keep you alive. It's a gift. 
post-traumatic stress is a gift because if you, if your, your Conway gets hit by an IED, um, it's meant to, to allow you to recognize symptoms very fast. And then your body takes over. It's not a, it's not a conscious thing. It's all subconscious. And so it's in this recycle bin in your brain so that if it doesn't even matter if consciously you understand, that's why a lot of veterans don't, you know, can't listen to fireworks or go to 4th of July. Of course, you know, it's fireworks. It's not gunfire, but your subconscious doesn't know that it's still Mm -hmm. registering that it's gunfire. And so it brings back the hormonal response, the anxiety, whatever it is that you got locked into your, your recycle bin. It's, it's there for a reason and it comes back and it comes back and it comes back. And so the traditional method that the VA has used forever and, and a lot of therapists use is talk therapy. Like let's, we have to talk about it until you become so desensitized to it that it just doesn't even like you just, you've talked your way through it already. And that, that doesn't work. You're trying to consciously approach something that subconsciously got you anchored in. And so what you have to do is you have to work with the subconscious mind. The subconscious is where it's rooted. And all we're doing with this protocol is a series. It's a, it's a number of different tools that we have that are brain-based uh, protocols that they're, they're very kind of funny to, to do sometimes, but what it's doing is it's taking that memory that you have, that, that tr- memory, and it's putting it in the trash bin. You still have the memory. You're not getting, you're not getting, um, you know, you're not, you're not getting brainwashed or anything, but it's just, you <laughs> yeah. can see the moment that it happens. And, and it happened to me. I thought I had my shit buried like deep, deep down. Like I didn't have any problems whatsoever. And then when I came to the first retreat, all of a sudden I started having panic attacks and I'd never had panic attacks before in my life. And, mm. um, I didn't know why until Kendra, by the, the woman that I, uh, did the, she's the other combat veteran. And, uh, she said, you're getting triggered. And I'm like, I had no idea what you're even like this can't be. And so I went and had in one hour, like all of a sudden it's just like, wait a minute, what, what just happened? And I, I love seeing like we get 10 to 12 veterans in every retreat. Um, every hundred percent of the donations that come into, to our nonprofit goes to sponsoring the veteran. I take, I personally take care of all of our administrative expenses. So that when people donate, it's not like 80% goes to there, but 20% goes to admin. No, hundred percent goes to sponsoring a veteran. They leave a different person. I, you're going to make me start crying. I'm going to start it's like literally like hundred percent effective, Jeff. It's 91% effective. We've wow. only had one person I know of that, that came that, that I know it didn't work on. And I know why some people, sometimes people get anchored into their identity as a veteran with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to let go of that. Like they don't really mm-hmm. have, like it has become such an over overriding urge that they, that they want to escape it because it's part of their identity of who they are. But we've had a guy, one of the sessions that we do is on, um, is on pain management and pain. Uh, thing. We had a guy that was, when he was leaving the retreat for five years, he wasn't able to move this finger. Like it didn't bend. So he was leaving the retreat and he was going for uh, surgery on whatever the tendons or whatever to allow him to bend his finger again. He, there was a one hour session that we did. It was, it was a, like a, it's a certain kind of a meditation that is revolves around pain. We got out of that and he's like, I can, I won't use the F word here, but he's like, bend my effing <laughs> finger. And it was just the, what the mind can do is, is 
it's mind blowing it, it, what yeah, it can do it and it can have that kind of control. And wow. so whether that was his, tra- like, I never really looked at like deeply, was it his trigger finger or anything like that? But, hmm. but the, that's the, the power of the mind is there to, to protect you and, and, and trauma and where it's stored and PTS is, is there to, to keep you alive. It's a gift. Love it. But it doesn't have a purpose in your everyday life with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers. And, and it doesn't have to, we, I love it when we see, like, you can see the moment. And we, like I said, we've, we've got guys that have been on medications. They're on all the pills. They've been through, yeah. they've been through decades inside the VA. We even take, um, Viet, we've had Vietnam veterans come through. We brought them in too. And they're just like bawling at the end of the thing because it's like, they've never, they've never experienced that kind of relief before, but you can see it wow. happen in their brain where it's just like something just happened. Like what, what just happened? All of a sudden you ask him, okay, go ahead and think back to something we haven't even talked about that's been traumatic for you. And they're like, there's no trigger. Like, and they wow. just start laughing and it's like, they can't believe it. And they're just, when we get everybody together after they've had their individual like healing um, visits. It's just, they're, they just can't believe it. It's just, it really is amazing. It's just, huh. it's so rewarding. Yeah. Wow. So but can people go somewhere to learn about that, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Operation Save Our Soldiers is, is my nonprofit. And so um, you can go to operationsaveoursoldiers.org. Um, there is a place you can donate there. And again, 100% of it, 100% of it goes to sponsoring a veteran to get the help that they need. Um, wow. And then, I mean, we have, we've got a backlog of veterans and the word's really gotten around because people are going out there and they're calling their battle buddies mm-hmm. who everybody just thinks that, it, I mean, people come in like this. Our hardest thing is getting past this. Like I've been through the VA, I've done all this stuff. It's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. That's the hardest part because it does work. And then all of a sudden they're calling all their buddies. Like, dude, I know, I know about the VA. I know, I know, I know it's Mm -hmm. different, man. Like this worked, you've got to get out here. Then we get the calls Mm -hmm. from the spouses. We get the, like you gave my daughter, her father back. You gave my husband back. We have women's retreats. Um, from female veterans. And, um, it's just, it's amazing. I could go on and on about it, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's truly revolutionary to, and it, but again, it's like a real reeducation about what, you know, therapy, we don't even call it therapy because it's different. It's not therapy. We don't call it therapy because we don't want it to be like everything else. It's different for a reason because nothing else was really working. Right. I wonder if first responders could benefit from that as well. You know, oh, absolutely, a lot of yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. really, really. And it powerful. can be done long distance. It can be done over Zoom too. Like it can. What so are you serious? If anybody, yeah, I'm dead serious. So you can. So if anybody does, like, if you know somebody, and one thing is, we don't let like family members can't like get their their family member in. Like, oh, my son or my my mm-hmm. brother, he really needs it. Like people have to come on their own, but we do a, we do a call ahead of time to be able to talk about, not talk about like their trauma or anything, but really to just to make sure that they're in the right mindset, that they really want to heal, that they're um, in a good space for it. Um, we might work out some things before they even come to the retreat. Like you have to come there clear-minded, like no alcohol, no drugs. Like you got to come clean because we're working with the brain here. And all of those things affect how your brain operates. And so if we're going to literally rewire the brain, literally we're rewiring the brain, 
um, it needs to be clear. And so there might be some things we have to do before people get out there, but we make sure that they're coming in ready to go. And um, it's just, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Wow. I have never heard of anything like that ever before. Yeah. That's amazing. And you said, you but if went somebody is out there, yeah, I went through it myself and, and I didn't know what, I didn't know what the protocol was. I knew what it did. And that was all I cared about. Like, I don't care. Just get, just get the, um, mm-hmm. just get the healing out there. I'll bring more people in. We'll raise more money. We'll do all that thing. Just get it to them. And then I was getting triggered. Mm-hmm. And then a fellow combat veteran um, was there who was also a practitioner. We went off into a room and um, he did a couple of exercises with me. And the thing is like when you, when you visualize trauma that you went through, it's the brain where it's stored in the recycle bin. It's like, it's happening to you right then. That's why you're getting the hormonal response because it's like your brain is reading. This is happening. There's gunfire. No, no, no. It's, it's fireworks. No, no, no. It's gunfire. And and all of a sudden like your body is having the response, like it's happening right now. And so when I would visualize the things that, that I witnessed, it was vivid. It was like I was there. It was first person, mm-hmm. first person. When then he did a couple of these exercises with me, he's like, I want you to go back to what you were thinking about before that we were. Um, and I want you to talk to me about it now. What does it look like now? And I was like, this is weird. Like, this is weird. And he's like, well, explain it to me. And I said, it's like everything is on like a movie screen, like out in front of me. Oh, it's not happening. have separation it just- from it now. It was, it was like, and all the like colors were drab. It wasn't vivid like it was before. And it was like, it's like watching just on a screen. And he's like, well, how does it huh. feel inside? I'm like, nothing. Stuff that I couldn't get through without just bawling like a baby. It just, like, I could think about it. I could talk about it. And it just, now the only thing that makes me cry about it is just like seeing these veterans come through and hmm. guys saying, you know, I had a gun in my mouth, like the night before I came out here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't, I can't believe I got my life back. Wow. It's just, yeah. I and mean, we're changing lives. We're, we're literally saving lives out there with this. Wow. Well, we will be sure to um, add that to the comments. Cause I didn't have that in there before into the, the description. Um, awesome work, Jeff. Awesome work. Now, as far as Warrior Life is concerned, we have all of the social media and your website running at the bottom of the screen now. So if you guys want to check out what Jeff's doing, um, you can go to warriorlife.com. OperationSaveOurSoldiers.org is the organization that he was speaking about just now. So if you want to help out with that, please go there. And um, yeah, now we're over the hour and I just got so... I got time for questions. If we get to questions, I'm happy to go. Yeah, we have a few here. So um, Kathy wants to know, in your opinion, what are the main skills you will need when society collapses besides defense skills? Um, Four-wheel drive monster truck, a bunker in the hills of Montana, six-pack abs. (laughs) That should pretty much do it. I think you're pretty much good to go there. Um. Uh, I think that the main skills that you'll need, you'll mean when like society collapses, besides defense skills, um, you're going to be thirsty and you're going to be hungry. And uh, we've got a, a friend of mine that's in our, in our network also, who has done a lot of work on the history of starvation, like what's happened in, 
uh, throughout history in regimes where sometimes people were starved on purpose and what they go through um, and what people will do when they're, when they're starving. So food's going to be a big part of it. I tell people like water is not going to be as, as much of an issue. Like it's more of a survival issue. Like you need water more than you need food. Mm-hmm. Water is going to be easier to find. It's easier to prepare for, not by storing it, but like by being able to become your own water factory. Like there's, there are ways to filter water. There's things to do like that, but there's wild stuff out there. Now there's wild food too, but you know, plants, like how many salads do you have to eat to get enough calories to do anything? Right. And if you're going to go hunting, like uh, I, I went hunting my entire childhood and with my, with my stepfather, we never saw one single thing, never pulled the trigger ever. So it's not that, it's not that easy. Right. So I think food is going to be um, a big thing. I, I would say that being a lone wolf is not going to be a, a winning plan. So starting to think about, um, we have one of our training courses, our workshops for Warrior our Academy, where it was on the truth about survival teams, because it's kind of like one of those cool, sexy topics that that preppers love. Mm-hmm. And, but we took people through a, lo- a series of extra fun exercises that got them to realize that one, you already have a team, whether you think about it or not. Um, that's not planned, like the ones that are going to show up on your door. And then even if you have a team, it's the people that they're going to bring with them. It's like, oh, but I couldn't leave my, it's like, you have to decide now, like who's going to get eaten by zombies and who's not. Cause you have to close the door here at some point. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but you, it's, it's like, how do you think about those things? So I would say that if you're a lone wolf, you're going to get devoured, you're going to get devoured. And so thinking about it in terms of banding together with people that are also like-minded, that are willing to prepare, are willing to, to do the things that are needed to assume that that sort of an event could happen because it can happen. Mm-hmm. That's really so. good. Good. Okay. The next one is what is your upbringing and how did that play into your passion for helping others? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I grew up in a, in a little town in upstate New York. Um, I think I got most of, I, I was always just a very, um, there's a reason I'm saying this, but, but like I was a very sensitive um, kid. Like I care about other people. I was very compassionate. My mother is an extremely compassionate person. And, um, and that got really ingrained in me. And I think when I joined the military in, in combat, the most rewarding thing for me, and, and it really gave me, a sense of, um, I guess of really like what, what I, who I was at my core and that you can marry. In fact, I think it was, um, it was one of those combat mindset things, which was, um, what was it? Walk softly, but carry a very big stick, right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to be a hard ass. You don't have to be, um, hard on the exterior. Like I'm one of the easiest going people you will ever meet. And I have a lot of compassion for my fellow man. I don't get pulled into political BS. I don't get like, I look for the person. I look for who the person, the person really is. And so that was ingrained in me early. And in combat, having the the people that the citizens in the area we're in come out and hug us because they were so happy that we, we freed them in, in their area. Like, it just it made it just really gave me a, a sense for why we were doing that. Now at the same time, I saw soldiers who were, you know, mean to people. Like they were just cocky and overconfident about it. So not everybody has that, that level. But I think it is a warrior quality 
to care about people. And I'm not saying that, you know, when, when, when it starts raining and it doesn't stop that, you know, just, you know, shoot anybody that gets on your front porch. I've been through natural disasters where everybody pulls together. It's not like looters are coming out of the woodworks, like in a lot of, you know, these areas. So, so I would say that, um, so my upbringing was one where I think I got very good core qualities that I like about myself as a person and married with the ability to, you know, kill a man with my pinky in under five seconds, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's like being able, but for me, that's where everything has evolved for me from my early martial arts training to now firearms training. Like for me, I've learned more and more that I hope, I think you'll appreciate this from a firearm standpoint also is that you've got to, you've got to really train for and understand where your where that line is like we I call it the switch and it really originated first when we were talking when I was looking at um, self-defense because you can see like somebody who's much bigger than somebody else like you can see the intimidation factor they've, they've already been beaten and people don't realize just how easy it is to take out a human being they don't understand how frail and fragile the human body really is if you know how to attack it and so it's, but most people lose fights because they don't realize they're in a fight. Like they don't, they don't realize they're about to get hit. I've seen this in so many different mm. videos. Same thing like with firearms. It's like if you're, if it's an unfamiliar situation, if you haven't trained for it, if you haven't even thought about it, mm. you don't know what to do. You're I mean, you don't processing. know what to do. Yeah. You're still processing, yeah. right? But the criminals don't have to go through that process. That OODA loop, yeah. they're, they're already in action. Yeah. Like you're always going to be coming off of, well, almost always going to be coming off of they've got the advantage and you're going to have to fight for getting the advantage back. That's not an easy thing to do. So understanding um, like that switch for yourself, um, you can be soft. You can be, you can smile right in the face of danger. But then when you know where your switch is, you switch. It's not a playground like, well, we'll start pushing first to see who's going to punch first. It's yeah. no, like you've, you've given every out you can, you've tried to deescalate, you've done all these things and you realize you are not getting out of this fight. Mm -hmm. And the first person that throws that strike is usually the one that's going to win. They certainly have the advantage. I would much rather it be me, but if I don't know where that switch is, then I don't, you know, I'm going to either freeze or I'm going to, I'm going to make a mistake in, in what I'm doing. I'm not going to be conscious of my surroundings. My, my brain's going to be focused on other things. So, but I know where that switch is. And when I see that switch happen, it's you just unleash, you unleash. Yeah. Same thing. Like don't draw your firearm just to show somebody your firearm. Like you got to know where your, where your, um, your line is when you're legally justified to do it and tactically in a position where, you know, it's time to do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the most dangerous people I do believe are also the kindest you know, they're kind people, compassionate people. They have big hearts. They care about others, but they also do whatever they have to do to protect themselves and those they love. And that is, yeah. I think, the definition of a dangerous person and a good one. Um, yeah. Let's see here. They keep it. There's more questions. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. I don't want you to stay up, you know, to midnight or anything. <laughs> Um, I took okay. my Geritol today, so <laughs> I'm not 
making fun, Jeff. You don't even, uh, you don't even remember Geritol. Shut up. I, didn't even know I think I've seen a commercial maybe. You've heard of it before. Yeah. Yes, I have. Is there a way for a non-vet to get the therapy for PTS? I have a friend whose daughter was robbed at gunpoint and she is struggling. Yeah, absolutely. So there are practitioners um, that do this now. Um, we've been trying to train as many people as possible. So we're getting a lot of like, um, and you don't have to be a therapist to, to you know, have, have the college degree and everything in order to learn this. Like we're just trying to get people healed. So, um, but there is a network of, of therapists around the country that are continuously getting trained and I can connect people. Um, so if people reach out to me at, at operation, save our soldiers.org, um, just reach out to us there and then we'll be able to, to, uh, connect you with somebody. Okay. Uh, okay. And then when we go to that website, can we donate there as well? Okay. Yeah. There's a donate button right at the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for okay. sure. All right. Every little bit counts, and, you know, every, every little bit counts. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure exactly this question. Maybe you understand it better than I do. What do you see happening in Argentina or Bosnia? I know there's been a lot of stuff that's been uh, just recently happening in Bosnia. I, mean, I think Argentina, they might be talking. I mean, they, they've been in various stages of collapse for, you know, for quite a while yeah. now. I think, I think they serve as very good, like learning, uh, like, um, kind of like a petri dish yeah you can that's what i was looking for case study you know you can really look see what happens in in other places um and 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 argentina has been one that i've looked at in the past from the from the standpoint of food and they i mean they were robbing trucks like that were i mean because people you look at the lines for like just just trying to get food. They're just, they're, it looks like they're miles long. And so people were eating dogs. They're eating the, you know, they're, they're pulling over trucks and raiding the trucks. And that was one of the things that was in the combat mission that you were talking about was that um, after three days without resupply where I was um, initially positioned when, when in, in combat uh, people, neighbors just started um, fighting amongst one another. And there was a truck that was there when all the fighting started and, and like nobody knew what was in the truck. And after three days oh. with when there was no resupply, people started getting in there and there was food in there. But then all of a sudden everybody it was like a it was like a massive like revolt. Like neighbors were were um were taking it out on other neighbors and they were all fighting over those things. So we actually we tried to stop it initially. That was not gonna happen. Hungry people will they will overpower you. And we weren't just gonna blown away, they're just civilians. So we ended up looting that truck and just making it a more organized loot than them fighting each other over it. We still had a position of authority there. So yeah, I was a looter, um, but it's it probably saved lives for what was happening at that time. And so, wow. um, yeah, I mean, I think you can see those things in, like in Argentina and how they've dealt with financial collapse there. I mean, we're always waiting for that time bomb to, to you know, nail us on, on the economic side. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's good case studies there to look at. Awesome. Okay, well, we got through all the questions. Jeff, see, that was pretty painless, wasn't it? I wasn't yeah, that. yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were so much fun to have on. I had a feeling you would be. I've watched quite a few of your videos, and I just love how articulate you are online, how you're, you seem very, you said you're not organized, but it seems as though you are, so you're putting on a good front anyway. And uh, yeah. just a very kind, a kind person with lots of experience to offer. So we appreciate your time tonight so, so much. Um and uh, 
really, really had fun with you tonight. I appreciate you uh, letting me poke fun here and there as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yep. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, Lori. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.